Welcome to the Rolling Stones Studs, a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion hosted by your own bad boys. It's Pete. And PJ. A Peach Boys Boys production. So professional. I think so. Um, you know, that's that's what people love about this show, is that we we are nothing if not professional. We exude professionalism. Everything that we do. I, yeah, I don't think anybody could disagree with that. <laughs> I, uh, I think this might be the second week in a row that we've talked about our, our, I, do we still call them our sister podcast? Or at this point, are they our former sister podcast? Hard to know. You know, probably our, uh, our former rivals, I would say. Okay. All right. I thought we'd moved. I thought we'd moved past that into being our. How about our frenemy podcast? Sure. Um, I was listening to an episode of that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've started covering Smiley Smile. I saw which that. Which is yeah, it was interesting so far. Um, but oh boy, do they just put so much work into that show? <laughs> <laughs> it is so produced. Uh, it's like NPR news podcast level of produced, and it is impressive. I mean, all all power to them. Like, if that's that's their show, they ha- they've had more success than we've had based on it. But it's uh sounds like a lot of work. I they, guess that's all I'm trying to say. I mean, they may have had more success based on it. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know what true. their numbers we, are like. Yeah, no one's seen numbers. Um, yeah, but. I did send Peter a copy of our numbers this last week, and it was mm-hmm. truly shocking. <laughs> it was impressive. Based on the fact that we that nobody writes in to our email, which is beachboysboys at gmail.com, um, for listener mail, and the mm-hmm. fact that we have like, let's let's get an exact number here, 79 Twitter followers. You would think that... Um, there would be potential, like... Like in the low dozens of exactly. listeners to every yeah. show, yeah, is what I would have guessed based on the interactions that we get. Yeah, but uh, no, that is yeah. it, it. It is more. I don't want to talk yeah. numbers here. I don't want to sound braggy, but so no, and I and, and we shouldn't exactly. Uh, we don't want to get the, into a uh, number contest with a you know, Ceylon, and, but... and really, it's just nobody's fucking business but our own. That's true. Nobody but you and your beloved should know the numbers that you have. Exactly. And I shared it with my girlfriend immediately, and then I sent it to Peter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And my uh, fiancé, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't get to know any of my personal financial or uh, business details. So. See, That's and, and that I, I keep understand. it locked in a drawer yeah. in my desk. Of course you do. Just like Don Draper. Along with the photos of my old family. Yeah. yeah. Um, we haven't gotten to the Rolling Stones episode of Mad Men yet. We're one season away, though. Really? Is it so in the second season? Close. I no, I believe it's in season four. Where we just started season three. Is it in season four? I am almost positive because it's not in season five, and okay. it's not in season three, so it has to be in season four. Okay. Basically, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Because season five in that show, I believe, is already in 1966. Which actually, yeah, I guess it could be in season five. 
I Let's thought I was, was thinking that was a little late for that tour, but that tour wasn't 66 because it was we talked about it in our aftermath episode. Yeah. So I thought that was in go. the first season. The Rolling Stones thing? Yeah. Which doesn't okay, make you any sense. through that show. Did you watch through that in like two weeks or something? That's a very I, I genuinely did. It was at the big. It was. Okay. Uh, I started it in um, mid March last year, mm-hmm. and uh, got through it. Oh, what happened then that made you want to watch Mad Men? I just was feeling misogynistic, and I needed, I needed sure. some place to you know yeah. divert that energy. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my... then that that was still there. So then you came to the Rolling yeah. Stones. Exactly. Yeah. Around mid March, I remember I was just getting over a terrible sickness and yeah. was just ready to go out and see the world. You yeah. Know? Had see... trips to Italy planned. Had trips to Germany, the UK. Mm-hmm. Was going to go on a European tour and see... was so excited to get yeah. back out there. You know, I... jump on a plane. Well, PJ. Speaking of years. Okay. We're hitting 1967 hard this episode, man. Yeah. Hard. Yeah, I mean, we really, I guess we talked about Flowers a little bit. That came out in 67. We talked about Between the Buttons, mostly recorded in 1966, came out at the very beginning of 1967. But really, this episode, we're going to be catching up on all things Summer of Love. Ooh, from give the me Rolling that. Stones. Give yeah. me that sweet, sweet hate ashbury Flowers in their hair, bare feet. Uh, dumb hats. Uh, dumb hats, I assume. Yeah, um, we'll be talking about all of that. Good. Pretty, pretty exciting. It is. Ex- it's exciting stuff, Peter. We here at the Rolling Stone Studs talk about nothing but exciting stuff, and the Rolling Stones. There's nothing boring about the Rolling Stones. I've never no. been bored by them or their music. Hmm. Me neither. Never at all. Never once. <laughs> um. You know, I have some exciting. This isn't listener mail, however, it is mail. I have. Huh. Um, you just get a letter from somebody. I did not. Um, I just got an exciting email the other day. Did that you, did your chocolate bar ship? It, my chocolate bar shipped. <laughs> you you guessed it, nice. pal. Did you get the nice. same email? Uh, no, I forgot about the chocolate bars. Yeah. Are they still available? Um. Well, you bought one, right? Uh, no. Really? <laughs> I totally forgot about it. No, I, I was only reminded when I listened back to that episode, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that was a thing." I'm sure they're still available, but mine is. Uh, you got it, Frank. Mine is being shipped to me. From where does it say? I want to know: Is this an international shipping situation for one chocolate bar? <laughs> well, it was like eight dollars for shipping, right? True. So it better be coming from the UK then. I just have to find the email. Give me one second. Angel. Angel. That's how the song goes, right? Angel. Um, it is indeed shipping from London, it looks like. Good. It better be. Yeah. I paid eight bucks for that shipping. so It's a $16 if chocolate If it doesn't bar. come with the, with the royal, uh, royal postage yeah. on it. Well, to me, uh, they're just going to send a boy down the street to, uh, uh, you know, hand it to me because I'm mm-hmm. in foggy old London town, you see. That's true. Yeah, they just, they uh, they stick their head out the door and wait for a street and catch one of the street urchins playing stickball in the alley. Exactly. And uh, get him to, oh, yeah, one farthing for the boy who gets this chocolate bar down to PJ Willett the fastest. Ooh. 
Oh, no. You freaking doxed me, bud. I can redo that. It's fine. Oh, God. Now I know what it's like to be a property brother. Yeah, that's not good. Do I get to date Zoe Deschanel now? Oh, my God, really? Yeah, one of them is dating Zoe Deschanel. Interesting. The new girl herself. Exactly. Mrs. The girl from 500 Days of Summer herself. What do you think? What do you think she's doing these days, man? I feel like she dropped or whatever fell from, you know, celebrity. popularity. Um, popularity. Well, one thing I know she's doing is banging a property brother. So maybe he just makes enough money to, you know, support them both. Because I mean, yeah, you got to think. Either of the property brothers are more famous than Zoe Deschanel at this point. That's yeah. Um, you got to think they're both celebrities because of their show and they're in real estate. They're doubling right. down on that money, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing the double down. Now, Just the real like question is, does she know which one she's dating? Does she no. get confused? No. And the other question is, or yes, she does. do you think she's dating the realtor or the guy who fixes stuff up? You know what, PJ? I think at this point, they don't even know. Yeah, they swap off. I think they'll just like, yeah, they'll throw their keys. They they have their own two person key party every day where they just whenever <laughs> they walk to produce to do their show or drive to do their show in the morning, they throw their keys in a bowl at the beginning of the day, and then they just both take a set of keys without looking, and they just go home and they're like, I guess I'm this one today. But like they inside themselves, they're not even sure anymore. Because yeah. they spend so many days living each other's lives. They've lost their identities, man. Yeah. And yet, to the people who see them from afar as celebrities, they have more of a public identity than ever. How ironic is that? And sad, PJ. Isn't really it ironic? just a commentary on the state of celebrity in America in 2021. That's beautiful, Peter. That's truly yeah. beautiful. Hey, speaking of celebrities in America in 2021, uh, I think it's time for one of our favorite segments on this show. Yeah, Pete, what's that? Uh, It's time to tune it to uh, Sirius XM channel, The Beach Boys Boys. I don't know. I guess our channel would really just be 60s on 6. I guess so. Yeah, we we've almost ex- we have exclusively talked about uh, bands from the '60s, yeah. or that formed in the '60s at the very least. Well, along those lines, PJ, I learned this week that a person very important to us has their own Sirius XM show on '60s on Six. Oh no! Did you? And I don't know whether this is a recent thing. Or whether they've had it for the whole time I've had Sirius XM and I just somehow haven't heard it until you recently. stumbled upon it. But Mr. Mike Love himself has a channel or has a show on Sirius XM. A show. And you know what? I can't believe it, honestly. Mike Love like he of all of them. should be canceled. <laughs> he fully seems like he should be canceled. Um, uh, yeah, my fiance was in the car like, wait, really? Like, does, he's the Trump guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. She's like, how is he on a radio show? And it's like, I 
don't know, honestly. Seems a little weird. Um, that is really crazy. Do you think he's like a Rush Limbaugh-like character? Probably. Oh, speaking of yeah, Rush I Limbaugh. I mean, he is... R.I.P. He is... Yeah, R.I.P. Rush. Uh, <laughs> Rush and Pete's, man. <laughs> um, same thing I said when Getty Lee's... <laughs> Getty Lee's not dead. <laughs> Who just didn't someone from Rush die recently? Neil Peart. Am Peart. I totally wrong? Yeah, Neil Peart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. Now I'm trying to find Mike Love, Sirius XM, and I'm not finding any. Oh, are you a bit of a liar, Pete? No, he. Like, uh, what's Pat St. John is the guy on Sixties on Six who I hear most times. Mm-hmm. And the other day, he introduced Mike Love. Like, he was wrapping up his show, and he's like, the next slot is going to be Mike Love of the Beach Boys, you know, playing some tunes. And then, um, or that was the first time I heard, but I was like, I don't even want to listen to that. And then on Valentine's Day, of all days, uh, 60s on 6 is doing all, you know, 60s love songs. It's a pretty good channel to be listening to that day. And during a break, it was like, and this is Mike Love. And I was like, no, no, no. Sorry, Mike. I got to turn this off. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. So, I know, man. It's it's weird. I f- it's weird. I feel like they should give Al a show if they've given Mike a show. They should give Brian a show. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be great. I feel like it would, it would be a lot of this, like, how the fuck does this thing work? And then... Uh, <laughs> And then a Ronette yeah. song would go on. I mean, you got to think that all of those kind of celebrity um, celebrity DJs that they have, like, they have to just be sitting there with a person in the booth next to them doing all of the actual stuff. Yeah. And then just, like, pointing to them when it's like, okay, now you talk. And, like, they make a playlist beforehand. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. no way that Mike Love is actually sitting there queuing up the next track and everything yeah cutting it up with his interns or whatever yeah that is no way that that's i mean do even professional people like professional djs do they even like run their soundboard because i know when i when i was a dj we ran the soundboard but right yeah you and i both dj'd you much uh more than me but dj'd at our college radio station which is kind of i guess how i assumed it was done when it was just one person with the soundboard and you know fading your yeah. tracks in and out and queuing stuff up yourself but you're probably right that it you know in iHeartRadio style yeah i can ask station. my second cousin mike who is a dj in uh, Billings, Billings wow. Montana oh yeah okay i forgot i was cool. yeah <laughs> oh, shit. um um you should yeah i'm interested yeah i want to know how oh god what was his name the guy from Hermits <laughs> who we talked about it Oh, recently, Mike Nesmith. Yeah, yeah. I want to know how he. No, that's from Monkeys. Oh yeah. Um, Herman. I want to know how. That's he right. It was Herman. Yeah, Herman. Peter Noon. Peter Noon. Peter Noon and Mike Nesmith, in my mind, are the exact same person, even though they're very different. Yeah, that's true. I feel like those are pretty. They were kind of the equivalent, each other's equivalent. Band exactly. In yeah. each country, though. So, so I, I see the confusion there. Yeah. Kind of like PJ, the Beach Boys, and the Rolling Stones. Kind of like that. You know what's fucked up about the monkeys? One of them was yeah. British. That's weird. Oh, I didn't know that. 
That's interesting. You know, PJ, you know what's also fucked up about the monkeys that no one talks about ever? They were not even musicians. They learned to play their instruments because they were all actors just for the show. And then they got a big hit. And then what? They're supposed to be a real band now? Yeah, it's it's like the Archies. It's fucked up. Yeah, fuck the Archies, man. Holy shit. Sugar, sugar. More like, shut the fuck up. Um... No, sugar David... Sugar Slaps, though, real talk. Oh, it's a real, real that good song. song. That song yeah. is awesome. I like the part at the end where it's like, Pour little sugar on me, baby. That song. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, they inspired Pour Some Sugar on Me. Yeah. Um, yeah, Davy Jones is British. He's very British. Yeah. Well, he came from that locker. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's been uh, our Sirius XM chat channel. Our... Wait, what do we? Hmm. We should. We'll come up with a better serious XM chat for now. I feel yeah. like there should be a clever title for this segment, but I can't think of it, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to work on it. You know, it'd be great if there was um, a number that started with the letter P, because then it could be PJ and P Dom. A number that starts with P. Mm, yeah. If only. What was called the '60s on six. The studs on six. Studs on seven. Seven does feel like a more Rolling Stones number. Somehow. I think so, too. Because they're gamblers, man. I don't know why seven's a gambling thing. Slots, that's why. They love okay. sluts, yeah. It's they like sluts, and sluts, slots, and... That's Brian Jones' whole thing is sluts. Yeah? Yeah. That's true. Like that slut the sitar. Yeah. Just you know, give, it's strings just bending under his fingers, giving in. Yeah, he likes to beat the shit out of his instruments and his women. Brian Jones probably did have an orgasm playing sitar at some point. You oh, think, right? you have like, to just imagine. Just so out of his mind on acid, and it's just like, mm, mm, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's right there in your lap, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. That gourd rubbing <laughs> against your groin. <laughs> There's no better feeling. No better feeling. It's ribbed for his pleasure. <laughs> Robbie's promise. <Yeah. laughs> well, PJ, today we actually have a we have a lot to talk about. As I kind of said, like we have yeah. almost all of 1967 to go over with the Rolling Stones. And uh, do you want to get into it a little bit? I think we should get into it a little bit. Nice. So we're gonna pick up with the Stones story just after Between the Buttons was released in, I believe that was in January 67 in the UK and February in the US, so early 1967. The Stones, high off a new album release or something. Yeah, and LSD. Um, yeah, that too, actually. That'll come into play here. Ah. Um, so at this moment, News of the World, which was a British, I think, tabloid or magazine i think it's a magazine i don't know whatever doesn't matter news of the world was working on a series about rock stars doing drugs pj the story of the day uh the series was called pop stars and drugs the facts will shock you and which maybe that's why i thought it was a tabloid (laughs) (laughs) um 
And so they'd already done one on, oh God, which was it actually? I don't remember now off the top of my head. They'd already published one on a different band. <laughs> okay, so the first article uh, of which was about Donovan, <laughs> the biggest pop star of the day. I mean, he kind of was, but it's funny now. <laughs> that is funny because he um, did not stand the test of time. Yes, yeah. Uh, there were also other articles about uh, the Moody Blues and uh, the Who, uh, Pete Townsend from the Who and Ginger Baker showing up at LSD parties. So I feel like there's a lot of assholes who will say, by far the best band in the 60s was the Moody Blues. And they are wrong, Uh-oh. but they're very, yeah. they're very adamant that they were the best band of the 60s. Is there... Isn't um what am I trying to say? So like, do real Moody Blues fans think that um oh god, whatever their famous album is, do they think that that's their best one, or do real Moody Blues fans say that a different album is their best one? I don't know. I because I... that's supposed to be their best album, and it only has like two good songs on it. Yeah, Days of Future Past. Like those two songs are really fucking good, but. The rest of it sucks. Yeah, um, so. but they're but they're just some weirdos who fucking love the Moody Blues because they're psychopaths. That's weird. Yeah, the Moody Blues seem like a band whose lead singer should have a serious sex on show, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if if they gave Herman from For Herman's sure. Hermits one, yeah, right, yeah, Mister Blues of the Moody Blues gets one. Oh, those Hermits, man. No one ever heard from them yeah. again after that band broke up. So, um. So they're doing series on on rock stars doing drugs, and they wanted to do one on the Rolling Stones, the biggest oh. band in the biggest band in Britain. Our boys. So one of the reporters from News of the World was in a bar, and was tipped off by the bartender that there was a Rolling Stone in the house drinking. So ooh, he ooh. went and sat down next to. I'm gonna guess. guess. You have a one in five chance. Yeah. I want to say it's going to be hilarious and it's Charlie Watts, but <laughs> I'm thinking that it's uh, Brian Jones. It's Brian Jones. Yeah. So he goes and sits down next to Brian Jones, who, and so there's kind of two stories. There's one that I found reading Wikipedia and like a couple articles that the Wikipedia article sourced. And then the book that I have, the Rick Cohen book on the Rolling Stones, says a different thing. The online stuff that I was reading frame it that he was hanging out at the bar and Brian was talking to other people and this reporter just eavesdropped the whole time. The Cohen book says that the reporter actually sat next to Brian and like was, had a conversation with him directly the whole night. So okay. either way, either way, Brian was actively popping benzedrine pills the whole night and gotta love it yeah and showed off his giant brick of hashish that he had apparently (laughs) that he was toting around um and then either brian invited the group he was with to come back to his place for a smoke you know what that means uh or he asked the reporter directly again unclear um so all of this conversation was put into the article about the Rolling Stones taking drugs and being a druggy band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, when the article came out, the reporter said he talked to Mick Jagger in the bar. Oh. Jones. And 
this is kind of a conspiracy theory of sorts. We're going to get into a couple of conspiracy theories about the stones here, man. I love it. Um, so the public story is that it was just mistaken identity, which I guess, but that the reporter was just talking to him the whole night and for some reason thought it was Mick Jagger when it was Brian Jones. I really hope that, um, I just don't see Brian Jones being the kind of guy who gets called Mick and then just rolls right. with it to not embarrass the other person. However, right. he is British, so you can't really put that <laughs> past him. Um, I, I really hope it was like a 60-year-old reporter who they were like... Yes, you got to be writing about the yeah, kids these days. Exactly. Yeah, because like, that's my thought, is that it's like it's pre-internet, so obviously you aren't able you don't, to like don't you don't Google know what they the look Rolling like. Stones yeah. right there and see what he looks like. But also if you're a reporter who is working on a series about you know, like it just seems like you would have at least some idea, but you might be right that it's an older person who doesn't necessarily Maybe know it was like a scene. Yeah, maybe it was like a really conservative news source and so That's true too. It, yeah. it was shining it in a follow. bad light, you know? Right. So so that's been the public story is that he just didn't know for some reason or another assumed it was mick jagger uh but the book i read rick cohen uh like said that it's possible that brian uh always angry at mick and the band purposefully uh told the guy he was mick jagger as kind of a laugh (laughs) that'd be pretty funny you know, like, I don't think Brian knew he was a reporter, but just meeting the rando in the bar who's like, hey, you're in the Rolling Stones. And Brian thought it'd be funny to go like, yeah, I'm Mick. And then, you know, have a whole conversation where the guy thinks he's Mick, which seems pretty plausible. Like, I see why, yeah. you know, you could think that because it, it, it's at least as plausible as the guy not knowing any of the Rolling Stones faces. Right. And then also, like, you have to think when he goes back to his office to write it up, someone would be like, who was it? And unless the guy for some reason was like, I'm positive it's Mick Jagger. Wouldn't you think they'd be like, here's an album cover. <laughs> Show us which one it yeah. was. Um, so yeah, it seems, it seems a little crazy that there was like no fact checking on who he was talking to anyway. So when the article came out, Jagger was fucking pissed. Um, because apparently, I don't know. It's, I, the aside that I read was that he didn't really actually do all that many drugs, but that, doesn't seem true no that's absolutely Um, false i think he's more just you know pissed that obviously he didn't actually have any of this conversation and it was published in a magazine um so after it was published he showed up on a talk show where he talked about wanting to sue for libel and everything uh and then figured out that if he did that he would have to prove that he didn't do drugs Uh. in order for that (laughs) it to be libel yeah uh, which then he realized, oh, I can't actually sue them. <laughs> even if he didn't do like as many drugs as Brian was doing, he obviously was still. Yeah, at the very least, smoking pot. Yeah. So he decided to get away from it all, uh, all the you know bad press and stuff by escaping to Keith's estate for a weekend trip. That's a really good place to go to get away from drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the paparazzi pj uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so up to redlands or down i don't know whatever he goes over uh, to redlands so at the weekend trip it so it included keith charlie mick 
Uh, and then among other famous people, George Harrison and Patty Boyd showed up. Fuck yeah. And um, Mick at the time was dating Marianne Faithful, so she was there. And then there were also a lot of like just random kind of London society people that they were friends with, like mm-hmm. this art dealer guy, a uh, a couple like photographer kind of artist folk, and then their drug guy, this semi-famous '60s uh, drug dealer, David Schneiderman, Ooh. who who is according to legend the guy who gave Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze acid, inspiring oh. the song. Yeah, I'm sure that's a story that guy tells a lot, and you nobody else. Yeah. Um. Actually, weirdly, in the book, they go into detail about him. Where like after like 1968 or something, he just kind of disappeared from like all of the rock drug scene, mm-hmm. and like really no one could like track him down for a while. And the only like thing they had about him from more recent times was the author interviewed marianne faithful who mentioned that like she ran into him at some restaurant in la in like 1995 and they like had lunch together and she was like yeah he's fine like it's just a brand he's just an old guy yeah like not much going on it's like okay that's pretty nuts that is weird so he has uh his giant meta he has like a giant metal suitcase full of all the drugs in the world that you could ever want and uh they all drop their beans and have a really nice time over the weekend. You gotta love bean dropping. Oh yeah, dropping. When did your beans drop, PJ? Let's say fifth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen years old for me. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Because um, when I walked around college, our college campus, <laughs> swinging them around, yeah. just had some some basketball shorts and no underwear just to show it off. Yeah, that's. I mean, you you know you see you see these National Geographic uh, magazines and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. television programs that have sure. mating rituals of different cultures. That's just yeah. the one that they do at the university we went to. Mm-hmm. You just go yeah. outside on in a, the middle on a of winter. Day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Balls, free ball floppy as the day is long, basketball, and baggy yeah. mesh basketball yeah. shorts, and not not quality ones either. The ones you get from like Walmart. No, for $3. you want you want Russell Athletic. Yeah, yeah like six dollar basketball shorts. The yep. ones that they they'll lend you in high school when uh, you forget mm-hmm. your gym shorts. Yeah. Yes, exactly that exact pair. So, they had fun on acid, and by Sunday evening. It was really, it was Mick, Marianne, Keith, and then a couple of the other, like, uh, art, uh, arty people right. left. George, Charlie, Patty Boyd had all, had all gone by then. Interesting. And suddenly, PJ, there's a knock on the door. Uh-oh. And the cops are there. Ah. Yeah. That's kind of like the time I was at a party and you showed up with the cops. Yes, because you know me, PJ, I'm always riding around with the cops, I busting know. perps, man. <laughs> have we told that story on the podcast? I do not believe that we have. Ah, we'll get into yeah. it at some point. Well, this is probably very similar to mine, or yeah. to the story of us yeah. <laughs> busting our party. So this is, I was, uh, I wrote for our college newspaper. 
and I took a like thing at our local police department. What did they call it? Like a citizen police a ride academy along. kind of thing. Well, yeah, it was yeah. part of a like four month thing where you just learned how the police department worked. Okay. Um, because I wrote about like the uh police stuff for the paper. So I did that, and part of it was that you got a ride along for a night. And part of my ride along was we showed up to bust a house party that PJ was at, and I got to walk up, yeah, on the lawn with the cops to freak out a bunch of college kids. Um, it must have been the slowest night for uh cops oh, because like it was, it six was. cops showed up. Um, he it, yeah, the guy I was with said like literally we got the call and he's like, oh, there's nothing going on. Let's just go. There'll be a bunch of people there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay. Um, from my perspective, I was hanging out with both Jake, who has been on the podcast and Paul, who has been on the podcast and like one other person. Um, and it was this party where we hasn't been on the podcast. We never say his name. Yeah. Um, but we never, like, we did not fit in at this party. There was a dude drinking like four locos. Yeah. It was like all freshmen. Right. And we were in our senior year at that point, maybe. We were at least 21. We were all of age. And right. um, there was a knock at the door, and somebody, some like bro was like, that's a cop knock. And I go, no, it fucking wasn't. And then somebody opens the door, and it's a cop. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. Wasn't, if I remember correctly, did they open the door, see it was a cop, and then immediately close the door? And then, and yes. Start so they out? opened it, yeah. closed it, and then every, or the guy was like, everybody get in the kitchen now. And then, so like all of these college <laughs> freshmen run into the kitchen, which is a oh tiny kitchen, and there were maybe 30 yeah. people there. Um, and then me and my group were all 21 and that was the night of course that we thought it'd be funny to drink 40s. Um, so so (laughs) it is, it's always funny to drink 40s. Yeah. To be fair. And so we were all like sipping 40s in the living room, not going into the kitchen because we were like, we're all, we're not going to get in trouble. And you weren't, you weren't serving. No. And, uh, then like there were a bunch of people who were like, get in the kitchen. We're like, fuck no, we don't need to be in there. And they were like, no, come on. And then one guy went out to go talk to the cops. uh, And that guy kept, uh, the cops kept being like, "Uh, will you go get the person who's like in charge of the house? And just like, she doesn't want to talk to you guys. (laughs) And then uh, we were like, you know, just sipping our 40s in the living room, like, we should probably go, huh? And so then us four just walked out the front door and like, we were all like, Peter, because you were like at the end of the line of these six (laughs) cops. Right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> ridiculous yeah it's just ridiculous that was yeah. cool that was the night if you want to this is i feel like somewhat um somewhat uh relevant tied to, you know yeah. relevant thank you god couldn't think of the word somewhat relevant uh that was the night that one of the cops i did a ride along with pulled someone over for not using a blinker and then made them do a dui test just to show me what it was like Oh, you gotta love cops, huh? Yes, PJ, you have to. Love you them. have to. Literally, it's almost legally required that you love them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway. there's a knock on the door, and it's the cops, and they the they have a warrant to search the house first of all, which I don't really know how policing worked in Britain in the mid '60s, but it seems a little crazy to have a warrant before you even show up. But whatever. Yeah. So they have a warrant to search the house, and they let them in smartly to some degree. I mean, yeah, it like it's they get in trouble, but it feels like it probably would have been worse if they didn't. So, so Keith let them in, and uh, 
apparently, I don't know why this is important. It's interesting, I guess, but it said it in literally everything I read about this story. Uh, they listened to Blonde on Blonde while the cops searched the house. Huh. There you it's go. A, it's yep. a really good album. Yeah. So they searched the place. Um, they, let's see, they, they open up the metal suitcase with all the drugs in it, um, which apparently he had everything like wrapped in tin foil. So it was just like a bunch of piles of tinfoil inside of it and he freaked out and said it was a bunch of film so don't touch that and they were like okay and closed it <laughs> and walked away <laughs> so that guy got away scot-free excellent um marianne faithful had apparently taken a bath that night and was just hanging out wrapped in a giant fur rug and so they were gonna have one of the female cops search her and instead she just dropped the rug in the middle of the room <laughs> That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so they found all they found, since they didn't search the drug suitcase, uh, was some a little bit of leftover weed resin, uh, some pet pills that were in I think I think they were in like Marianne Faithful stuff, but Mick said they were his. Uh, and then one of the other guys, this art dealer. Uh, had heroin pills that he said were for his diabetes. Heroin pills? Sure. That's just like Oxycontin, right? That's... I guess. Yeah. I don't know if it's like more intense or what. Yeah. But. Or morphine, um, or, you know? Like. Yeah. Interesting. So that's all they found, but they did get charged, all three of them, for possession. Well, Keith got charged with having like for allowing illegal drugs into his right. home or something. And then Mick and the art dealer guy got charged with possession of those, of those drugs. Makes sense. Um, it was a bit, it's a big, it's still a big conspiracy, man. People on the message boards are talking about it to this day about who tipped off the cops. I bet it was um, a fucking reporter. Yeah. Is so that one of the theories? as much as anyone, like the, the most true story that anyone can pin down, is that news of the world is who called the cops to show okay. up at the house. But then the question is like, how did news of the world know that they were there and that stuff was happening? Yeah. Um, so for a while it was a theory that it was the drug dealer guy because he somehow got away without his suitcase being searched. Um, but later, like decades later, Keith said in some interview that he thought it was his driver okay so i don't know there's also like a much larger conspiracy theory that it was just like the government in a vague sense and but they it which the like evidence for that i was a little confused by this argument but the evidence for it is that george harrison had already left because like they weren't they wanted to keep the Beatles clean cut image, so they weren't gonna arrest him, but they like wanted to go after the Stones because they were they have the bad boy dangerous. Image. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that's obviously pretty ridiculous. So Yeah. Huh. So this drug bus though was huge news and kind of made the stones the faces of, you know Being rock cool. stars doing drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is before I think this is like two years before the Beatles get busted. When did they get busted? 68, Six, right? Or 69? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. 69, I think, is when Paul McCartney got arrested. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So they are, like, already 
kind of tied for the most famous band in the world. And now they're the most famous band in the world that also does drugs. drugs. Yeah. Um, Which is hilarious that George Harrison was also there. I know. Yes, it is. So Keith decides, well, the whole band really, but Keith and Brian cook up this plan to go to Morocco to get away from it all before their trial dates. Right. Seems, Um, yeah, like a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and apparently Brian had been to Morocco before, so they decide to go go to Morocco, and eventually the whole band kind of meets up with them to hang out in Morocco for a while. Sounds nice. Uh, Keith and Brian end up driving down with Anita Pallenberg, Brian's girlfriend, the babelicious German model or whatever. Right. Um, halfway down through Europe, Brian gets pneumonia Whoa. and like has to be checked into a hospital and tells Keith and Anita to go on alone. And this is when Keith and Anita start a little Fuck. little thing for each other, yeah. Um like apparently by the time they, you know, finish the drive to Morocco, they're sleeping together and stuff. So That sounds about right. So they stay in Africa for long enough that Brian recovers and like comes down there. Uh, and then Mick and like other friends of the band show up and they're all hanging out in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian suspects something's wrong and apparently, hilariously, uh, knows for sure that Anita isn't like with him anymore when he invites Anita into bed with him and a couple of prostitutes that he's sleeping with. And she <laughs> says no. Oh. Which is how Brian, yeah, that's how Brian knows. <laughs> if my girlfriend ever did that, I would be heartbroken. I know, right? Yeah, that's just true love is dead when she refuses to have group sex with you yeah. and prostitutes. God, what a um, what a bitch! Well, so Brian freaks the fuck out and beats her up so badly that she like thinks she's gonna die, basically. Yeah. Um, and so the rest of the band, apparently, their solution to all of this, they someone comes up with the idea to tell Brian that reporters like found out where their hotel is and they have to bounce because they don't want to, you know, get tracked to whatever they're trying to hide from right. the paparazzi. So they tell him that everyone has to bounce. And so they just like all break up into groups and run away. And Keith snags Anita and gets out of there. And basically the whole band ends up just like leaving Morocco and Brian comes back to the hotel after like a day and is like, where the fuck is everyone? <laughs> uh, and they're all like back in France or Italy or something yeah. on their way home. Wow. So, yeah. That's awesome. So, and that's how, I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of stuff I think that goes into Brian leaving the band, but that's our first major, major thing. Right. I think will will lead to that. They didn't. Sure, they didn't like that he beat the sp- shit out of his lady. His girl. Yeah. Well, you know, after you're already sleeping with her, it's especially bad. I know. Um. So, that's kind of their little interlude before the trial. At the trial, they are. Uh, they all get charged. Okay. Uh, wait. What am I trying to like convicted? Right. Um. So Mick with possession of illegal narcotics. Keith with allowing his home to be used for criminal acts. That sounds like a made-up yeah. charge. Yeah. Um, and then the art dealer guy for also possession. Yeah. Um, so 
Oh, also an important note to all of this was apparently Lug was in absentia through all of the trial. Okay. Uh, was not there at the trial, wasn't showing up to help them or give advice or, or anything. He's a real stand-up um, guy. Oh, yeah. It's great. So Mick got three months in jail, Keith got a year, and the art dealer fella got six months. Okay. Um, Mick and Keith spent one night in jail before being released because their cases were appealed. Uh, the art dealer guy served his entire sentence. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's the price of a, or the benefit to celebrity, I guess. Is this like, um, do you think maybe this is the first time that that happened? Because there is a proud tradition among celebrities of not getting time as bad as they should yeah. have. Do you think this is like That's maybe possible. the first instance? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Close to it. Yeah. Um. So both Mick and Keith's charges eventually were dropped. Like they appealed it to higher courts and stuff and their charges did not stick. So they only spent the one the one night in jail. Okay. Um, Cohen, the guy who wrote the book I'm reading, attributes the Redlands bus to as a like change in attitude for the Stones from the beginning of their career to the rest of their career, from the kind of freewheeling, uh, free for all parties, large groups right. of friends, like invite anyone you want over thing to then becoming a band uh, with bodyguards and having a really tight inner circle and yeah. more paranoid and everything, which so just being I guess I kind of knew they famous. were famous for later on, but didn't realize like this early they maybe started acting that way. So Yeah, I mean... I, maybe I, it kind of took a little longer for that to take hold, and he's just saying this is maybe when the shift started. It's weird to think that before this, Brian Jones could be found at a bar just yes. talking about the next time he's going to do drugs, you know, mm -hmm. and showing for off sure. his big bag of hash. Yeah. I think so, yeah. I think it might have been earlier, but... I mean, it's not that weird. I, th I feel like there's something else weird about it. Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think there's something extra with, like, Mick's um, bodyguard. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but, like... Peter. Peter. We have a moderately popular podcast. You don't think you know what it's like to be a Mick Jagger-like celebrity? Right. Yeah. I mean, 
look at how it happened with Rob Deerdick. His his bodyguard became his best friend, and then they got a show out of it. So it is beautiful. Maybe that's what Mick was trying to do. Get a get a reality show. Mick and the man. It'd be a good show. <laughs> On this episode, the Rolling Stones go to Altamont. <laughs> oh, I see it, sir. It starts in the 60s. Nice. Uh, so in the summer, I believe, of 67, the Rolling Stones released the single We Love You uh, that uh. is about their jail time and is was positioned as a thank you to their fans for sticking by them uh. during this difficult period or whatever. See if you can get the jail references that they're suddenly Oh, yeah. I like their use of sound effects. What is this, the Beach Boys? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this song has backing vocals by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. I love the Silver Beatles. Ah. The piano on it is crazy. Yeah, it's a pretty great piano roll. Oh, they're being walked to their cells. Yeah, exactly right. It's not on a jam. <laughs> it's not bad. It's kind of revolvery. Yeah, it was it was kind of dismissed at the time for being a little too much of like a Beatles copy. Yeah. Thing, but it's good. I like it. Not a bad it honestly song. feels more naturally psychedelic than anything on the album. Oh, so. fully, fully, yeah. Yeah, like I, I dig it. It's a, it's a it's, fun song. It's yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it, it, it doesn't sound like a Stone song to me, like at all. No, not, not at all. Yeah. yeah. None of it really is, because it's just like a piano drum thing happening. There's not really any guitar. Yeah. And then the lyrics are like, again, like a very Beatles-esque sort of harmony. Yeah. Well, and they literally have about... Beatles singing on it. Well, right. And there's no, like, I mean, like, nothing, you can't really tell Mick singing. I don't know. Like, it's not, none of it is particularly going to Right. Love us. Pretty good. Um, if we have any interest, the well, the B side or the A side in the U.S. Yeah. We love you as the B side. In the U.K., we love you as the A side. But the other song is Dandelion, oh, which is pretty good. Mostly, just neither of these songs show up on compilations because they aren't doing them anymore. And right. So we won't hear these if we don't listen to them Definitely more of a Stone song. Yeah, it's fun. 
I feel like That's it could have it could have been dropped onto Satanic Majesties, and I wouldn't have thought anything of it. <laughs> I probably would have enjoyed it on Satanic Majesties. I also like it could have been on. I don't really know. I think this came out after Flowers, but it's like it could have been on Flowers too. It yeah. It's, it's a not solid song, but nothing amazing. It's it, it's certainly more stonesy than the other one. Not yeah. that stonesy though. It, again, it kind of sounds like more like they were trying to do the Summer of Love psychedelic thing than yeah than Satanic Majesty's Request does. So. Right. Uh, it's interesting that like this was their contribution to really their contribution to like that style. Mm-hmm. Just this A and B single. Is that a harpsichord? A lot of harpsichord, yeah. Yeah. In this time. I I must say, Charlie Watts is a good drummer. He is a good drummer. He's going to be, I I would say Charlie Watts is an all-star. Yeah. Like he, all of the Rolling Stones are very good, but I feel like the drumming consistently, like, kind of gets me into Stone songs that I'm not sure about. Like, I love... I'll love the drums on a song that otherwise isn't grabbing me yet. And then right. I'll stick with it for that reason. Good old Charlie, so, man. Yeah. So then they start working on their album, their Satanic Majesty's Request. Ah. In technically, they'd been working on it like off and on since Between the Buttons was released, but they really kind of started in earnest working on it around like August, September, which I think is around when their charges were dropped okay. uh, from their trial. Okay. So, um, but the time, I don't know, the timeline's a little fuzzy on that though, because then there's a quote from Bill later that I'm going to read about like, since they were dealing with all the legal stuff, people weren't at the studio very often working on it, so... Okay. Uh, maybe the charges were kind of pending through the fall. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to look that up. I'm yeah. just going to realize I didn't look it up now and then not care and move on. That's that's true Rolling Stone Studs fashion. That's right. So, also, so Brian loses Anita. The Stones lose their innocence, PJ. Oh. And they also lose their manager this year. Lug. Lug, Lug hawked, hawked like a loogie. It can only be said. Um, that old saying. Yes. So while they were working on Satanic Majesty's requests off and on and dealing with all the legal stuff, um, Lug kind of faded from the picture. Okay. Um, for a few reasons. It seems like no one's ever really talked about this very clearly. It was a lot of all the things I read seemed to be a lot of guessing at what people were feeling. Mostly, I think no one really knows what Lug was feeling, and the Rolling Stones are pretty close to the vest about a lot of right. details. Anyway, so partially he was, it seemed like he wanted to distance himself from them during the trial because he didn't want to get dragged down. Yeah. Uh, but in case but... they actually did go to jail and stuff. Yeah, he didn't want his meal ticket to get. <laughs> drug yeah. down yeah pardon the pun um so that was part of it the other part was uh for some reason or another their relationship was set up in a way where he paid for the studio time and then somehow got paid back or something when the album came out i don't know okay but he was paying for the studio time and they 
because of dealing with the legal stuff and then also just because they were doing a lot of drugs were spending what for the 1960s was a long time in the studio like weeks and yeah. weeks uh, of studio time and um not getting a lot done and also mick and keith apparently leaned into with brian their kind of psychedelic jamming because it was pissing lug off we wanted them <laughs> to kind of stay like focused on pop hits. yeah which makes and sense so they also kind of purposefully like drove him out uh, for that reason. Okay. So, so Lou just kind of stopped showing up all that often. Uh, and then apparently one day he showed up, watched them for a while, got really mad and left and called back to the studio from a payphone, like after he left and just told Mick, like, I'm, I'm not coming back. And Mick's like, okay, if that's your decision, yeah. we're fine but, with it. And later, dude. that was it. Yeah. So this is their first self-produced album because he was their uh, producer up till okay. now. Okay. So do they all get credit with producing it? I believe it's just produced by the Rolling Stones okay. like, as a band. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I can double... Does it say... Wikipedia is so fucking all over the place with what information it gives you about yeah. uh, stuff. But yes, it was it was just produced by the Rolling Stones. I believe mm-hmm. that's what it said on the album art or on the album cover. Um, there was also a lot of disagreement about them doing psychedelic music because it was obviously of the moment. Right. Lug was against it. Uh, the Stones weren't even really all that into it. It didn't seem like. Um, like, they definitely love drugs, but, of course. I mean, still, like, at heart, they're really kind of more of a blues band. And so, like, they seemed to be more into the psychedelic thing as a, like, business decision than as having, like, any real artistic interesting in it. Um, there's a quote That's I found. That's weird. Nobody gets into Nick. psychedelic music for the money. That's the hey, worst man, business decision I've ever fucking at. heard. What are you talking about? Sgt. Pepper's was the album of the year, man. I know, but that, um, I don't know. So, yeah, so Jack, so apparently Brian, strangely, because Brian gets his rocks off on this album playing every instrument under the sun, but apparently Brian was interested in trying to go back to a more stripped-down blues sound. Interesting. Instead of going full psychedelia, yeah. You would think he'd be and, opposite. Yeah, right? But Mick, there's a quote uh, from Mick talking to Brian saying, pretty soon everything is going to be psychedelic, and if we aren't in there on our next album, we'll be left behind. So. Um, and then I think Charlie didn't care. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> and then Bill was kind of, I think, just there. De- detached. Yeah, like yeah. kind of like Charlie, just like you guys do what you want to do as long as I get to play and we'll keep the rhythm get paid yeah yeah um which yeah so Bill has a good quote about uh recording the album every day at the studio it was a lottery as to who would turn up and what if any positive contribution they would make 
Keith would arrive with anywhere up to ten people, Brian with another half a dozen, and it was the same for Mick. They were assorted girlfriends and friends. I hated it. Then again, so did Lug, and just gave up on it. There were times when I wish I could have done too. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So, about a month before the planned release date, which I think was when it was released, December... Early December, I believe? 8th of December is when it was released. That's the same day John Lennon dies in 11 years. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. Yeah. What year did this come wait. out? 67? 13, 13 years. years. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking um, it was 69 for some reason. Nice. So, about a month before the release date, they realized they didn't have an album. <laughs> They'd spent months recording and dicking around and doing weird jams with a harp and flute and everything and did not have an album together. So basically what came out as their Satanic Majesty's request was just them piecing together the most complete stuff they had and like kind of cutting and editing things. But This sounds familiar. Yeah. There was not a... Yeah, right. There was not a... Wait, was that a Rolling Stone studs dig, or is that a reference to something else? <laughs> that was a reference to uh, Smiley Smile. This show. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except they weren't even trying to make a grand statement. They were literally just, like, messing around and not really bothering with, yeah. like, real I, music. I, I just meant the slapping an album together because they needed yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, you know... You can hear that, obviously, I think, on the album, that it's kind of slapdash. Like, yeah. there's literally some parts where you're like, oh, they didn't get Mick singing into a microphone. Like, it was just like, you know, um, a vocal take that was clearly from, like, a room mic or something. Yeah. Um, so there's some of that stuff. But it's also, like, somewhat interesting. It's one of those things where once you hear that idea, you're like, you can hear it in the album. But before that, it's not necessarily that. Like they had a they had a good amount of completed stuff, I guess, um, to actually put on the album. So, um, let's see what else about. So that was all the recording. Okay. The album cover is very famous. No matter. No matter if you're a Stones fan or not, PJ, everyone knows this album cover. Everyone. Um, Actually, they got... this is not oh, the no. most famous Rolling Stones cover to me. Oh, not the most famous one, but it is definitely a famous one. <laughs> Certainly I mean, a I'd famous one. It's up there in the top five. I would say top ten, but yeah, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Give it to me. Okay, so as a non, as someone who is a casual fan, I would say Sticky Fingers, Let It Bleed, um, the other one. Oh, some girls. Goat's head Satanic suit. Satanic Majesty's request. I would not say goat's head suit comes to mind when I oh, think of Rolling Stones albums covers. The one of the most famous ones, I would say. Like yeah. I know it, but I just don't think of it as being like a crazy or cool album cover. I would say that personally, and then, but I'm talking most famous. I would say the three you said, and then goat's head soup and exile on Main, on Main Street. Excel on Main Street, I don't find that interesting either, but... Well... Anyway. I'm not saying interesting, I'm just I, saying I'm not, famous. I'm not saying you're wrong, but it's... Okay, it's up there. We'll just say it's What up the there. fuck, Peter? God damn it. God. So they got the same guy who did the Sgt. Pepper album cover. It looks like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
who actually this guy i think his name was michael cooper maybe he basically becomes like the stones like uh band photographer for the next few years oh, that's he cool really good friends with them so um they so yeah they get like money from the studio and go to new york to like the only place in at least like the u.s or britain that they can get a 3d photo taken (laughs) yeah um so they go there and they spend like three days building their set and getting their costumes together like they literally paper mache and like built together everything on the album cover which is kind of nuts and designed their own costumes and shit and then got their uh the 3d photo taken because they wanted the picture to be a 3d like a lenticular cover where when you shift it from side to side their faces yeah left and right and stuff um so they got the 3d album cover approved but then like after it was taken alan klein realized how expensive it was going to be to make every album a 3d cover yeah so they made first of all they made the photo smaller they made it just so it was in the middle and then they also it was a limited release of of the actual 3d 3D one i bet that is a pretty penny nowadays Yes, because, yeah, later in, like, the 80s and in, like, 2015 or something, they released um, versions with the 3D cover. But, yeah, a 1967 one is probably worth quite a bit of money. Yeah. I love Mix Hat. I like all their hats, but, yeah, Mix specifically is very, very fun. He looks like a little boy whose mom dressed him up for a play. I love it. <laughs> They're all just dressed, like, so... It's all, I mean, it's very medieval, which is probably what they're going for. I would imagine so. um, What most people were going for at the time when you say psychedelic, I say Baroque period. Um, How high? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then also on the cover, apparently, uh, they hid the Beatles' faces in it. They were, so originally they were going to do a bunch of people's faces, like hidden in the the Beatles faces are hidden like in the ground underneath them it's like a bunch of brightly colored flowers and shit they were gonna hide more people's faces and then they realized after they got to like six faces they're like oh we're just doing Sgt. Pepper so we should yeah. stop <laughs> I was gonna say that um, sounds like Sgt. Pepper yeah they were like we're literally just we got the same photographer and we're doing a bunch of faces on one cover let's stop while we're ahead and I think the Beatles are the only faces that ended up on there okay um yeah so the inside, it was a gatefold cover. The inside had a maze that could not be solved in it, <laughs> which is honestly really fucking funny. Yeah. I love that. Like love how that. many hours did people spend working on that? Um, and then, oh, the only uh, one other before we get to the track by track, uh, because satan is referenced in the title right in south africa which i'm not sure why exactly there but in the philippines which is a super super catholic country um in those two countries it was released as the stones are rolling which is (laughs) honestly maybe a better name that is a better name why why is it called their satanic majesty's request oh yeah thanks for bringing that up i somehow left that out of my notes um so it's just a dumb basically play on the inside of a british passport or the outside whatever on a british passport it says at her say or at her satanic majesty's request 
Uh, at Her Majesty's request. Yeah, what is it exactly? At Her Royal Majesty's request. Yes, thank you. At Her Royal Majesty's request. Um, you know, allow this person into your country because they have a passport. So they just changed it to their Satanic Majesty's request, which also a good album name, but the Stones are rolling, especially when it's their drug album, is like hard to dismiss as That's, a fantastic it, fucking It's name. pretty good. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't use the Stones are rolling for anything for else any too. Yeah. I mean, like, at the very least, it should have been one of the random compilation albums that came out. Should have or, been The Stones Are Rolling. Or even just, like, you know how you'll have an album title in the picture, and then sometimes there will be a little quote at the bottom? Yeah, do that. Even Literally that. anything. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. And they probably thought it was, like, too dumb and obvious, but. Whatever. I think it's good. I love it, yeah. So, are you ready? the track by track pj i think i'm ready for the track by track pete do you want to take a little break before we get let's take a little tiny break let's do it stone studs hi <laughs> we're gonna go we're about to go track by track uh through their satanic majesty's request which i think i called her satanic majesty's request or like i didn't really know the you have title called it that before yeah. until like the last week so <laughs> i guess i apologize <laughs> but whatever um i feel like oh i had a couple things but i think i will save them until we get to one of the psychedelic jams and then i can just talk over that um, yeah that's a good idea so the album was released december 1967 as we talked about it went to number three in the uk and number two in the u.s and uh the two singles off of it uh i believe were oh god she's a rainbow no really that's the weird part yeah huh. 2000 man oh okay it's not 2000. Okay. The first single, In Another Land, B-Side Lantern. And then the second one was She's a Rainbow and B-Side 2000 Light Years from Home. Weird, weird, weird stuff, man. Yeah, In Another Land is surprising to me. But that is very surprising. I don't think either of them did particularly well as singles. I would um, not imagine not. <laughs> I mean, by the time they were released, I think... Yeah, they were released both in December of 67, so I think the world was like, yeah, we get it. The Beatles yeah. already did it. <laughs> and <laughs> like they did it need to hear far better. Right yeah. now. Um, so, let's get into it, PJ. All right. Sing this all together. First track. Dissonant. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a... It's kind of a creepy sounding album at certain parts. Oh, for sure. It's and kind with of that album cover, man. I think this thing would have yeah. scared me as a kid if we had it. it it's kind of like um, Smiley Smile in that it's like spooky at some parts. 
and then yep. just weird and the very rest of it. Dash. Yeah. <laughs> This, this is one where they're very clearly copying the Beatles. Yeah, like the sound of them all sitting on a floor singing together. Exactly. With like a group of hippies around them. Yeah. And one of them's playing a tambourine. Like, yeah. Except, I like those horns. I like this song. Um, yeah. Quite a bit, actually. Like,. It's not incredible, but it's good. I like the instrumentation. I like... Yeah. It's very jangly and, like, bright. I I would love it if it was recorded differently. If they didn't try to do this on a yeah. psychedelic album, and they did it on, like, a straight-up album, and, like, had it a little bit less psychedelic, and maybe no drum circle solo in the middle. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of like it on this song just because it's such a short little interlude yeah um, but later on i think we'll talk more about their jams later on but i like it on this song because it's very short and it's kind of a weird way to start the album by having like a minute and a half little jam section right. immediately there's just dissonant xylophone chords That's probably the blockage. Probably. Shows up um, all over the place. But then it also could be the vibrant. You never know. There's yeah, also a part in it, I think we might have already heard it, but where it sounds like Keith is like doing guitar tapping a la Eddie Van Halen, mm, but like probably. doesn't know how to do it. I think, yes, there's a lot of just like noise. Yeah, like happening, noodling. like yeah. where they all were just clearly, yeah, just trying to get weird noises out of it. But then, like, it's a pretty short jam, and the horns bring it back in. It's, it's nice. I think yeah, it I do like the horns in this song a lot. Next song, Citadel. Um, I love this. Yeah, aside from the like quote unquote psychedelic lyrics, um, this is just a fantastic yeah. mid 60s Stones rock song. It sounds like um, the New York Dolls a little bit. Yeah, like I, the feedback is there, and then yeah. yeah, like all of the instrumentation happening in the background. Um, yeah, yeah, gives it a little glamier kind of feel, maybe. It's but cool. It's yeah, it's also kind of got that hard rock feel with the crash cymbal going on. Yeah, it's a it's a really good song. I think, like this is, is one yeah. I would add to a playlist and be like, fuck yeah. Oh yeah, this really. Is cool. Um, which the lyrics get worse maybe as the album oh, goes on but yeah. this is the first example of 
all of the lyrics on this album feel like the Stones are sitting around and they're like, what's a psychedelic idea? <laughs> and then like, we'll just write random lyrics. They each like, went a word and they were like, yeah, if the mushrooms were, you know. Right. Like, because the, like, the lyrics are just meaningless. Yeah. Um, and it's not even meaningless in like, like the Beatles, for example, the psychedelia by life just kind of doing i feel like a lot of free association lyrics right um and this doesn't even feel like that this is literally like they're just like trying to like make up weird imaginative world things but it's just it just ends up meaning nothing and sounding like they don't have any lyrics yeah this was the i think we talked about the lyrics on like um under my thumb and things like that where they're like incredibly misogynistic um, yeah. This is the first album where all throughout it, I was like, "Wow, these lyrics are garbage." Yeah, yeah. Like, the, yes, because the stuff they just can't find the middle ground. They no. either have really crappy lyrics that like mean nothing, or they're really misogynistic, or yeah, like they just can't. They haven't yeah. found the sweet spot yet for writing. Not yet. Yeah. All right, in another land. Um. So this was written and sung by Bill, crazily enough. It's spooky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Psycho. Far out, man. Dude, speaking of Donovan, am I right? You know these guys have to be taking drugs. This is just so <laughs> oh. out there. It's like his voice is like, like, like a, a guitar. and a What's a robot? It's 1967. Um, I do see where MGMT, if you know that band, got yeah. their entire sound. It's just this song. Yeah. Um, like, especially even when they kick in. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, I actually really, really like this song. All joking aside. <laughs> I, I like it when it gets into this part. I yeah. hate the intro yeah. and anytime it does that again interesting fucking I, hate I like it. it like it's obviously bad but it's to me it's charming like a bad old movie where you're like it's charmingly shitty instead of just being plain old bad no I just think it's shitty <laughs> if I heard this on an album that came out today I'd be like well yeah they they're not interesting but I don't know even if it like this when I heard this I, I was like I thought about skipping it when I was listening to this album for the first time. I'm glad I didn't because it like picks up and I like the where it picks up, but Yeah. I don't know. I like it. I I also just made I I feel like this song kind of works. Maybe it's telling that it was the only one not written by Michael Keith here. But I Could feel be. like it kinda it Musically it works. Phenomenal. And I think almost lyrically, um it just, I don't know. It kind of reminds me. Did you ever read that book, Half Space Suit Will Travel? It's an old Heinlein sci-fi book. I don't think so. It's about a kid who like mail orders a spacesuit and then decides he's going to go to space, and everyone around him is like, "Yeah, you can't do that, though." And he like builds a rocket ship and just goes to space and lands on the moon and has like a whole sci-fi adventure. Hmm. Um, and for some reason, the song made me think of that. So, Interesting. good job, Bill. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I if if he didn't if he just didn't do that effect on his vocals, I would be like yeah. all about this song. That effect annoys yeah. me so much. 
I would be interested to hear like a demo version of this. Yeah. With just a straight vocal take. It is interesting hearing Mick like sing the background vocals. Yeah. Little... Mick is one of the good. best background vocalists of all time. Like in the song yeah. You're So Vain by Carly Simon, mm. he does yeah. the best best background vocals. Oh. And then he's just been sleeping the whole time. Oh. Oh. Look at that. How psychedelic. <laughs> this was Denny's favorite song by the Stones. <laughs> all right. 2000 man this might be the best song on the album this is the best song okay. on the album this song it's, is amazing it's really gorgeous yeah i love this acoustic intro yeah and i, I love the drum rhythm the like off filter yeah. rhythm charlie's doing it's so good and then mixed vocals when they come in are really good mm-hmm. this is I was going to say one of my favorite Stone songs, but I feel like I've said that a lot. Yeah. This is a really great song. Though. This is definitely one of the best ones that we have heard so far. Yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite up to this point, but it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it, even though this is a thing you generally hate, I do feel like it works kind of mashing two songs together. It, it works in that I did not notice it. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll get there very soon. Yeah. This album does kind of blend together in a way where I found myself a few times confused if the song was over or not. Yeah. Maybe that happened. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I thought you meant it, it gets was... into a little hard rocking part. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were talking about it was two songs like put over one oh, another. And it. I was like, really? It works. Yeah. No, this works really well. Yeah. Yeah, and this part is a fucking it's really good. This whole song is a fucking jam. Yeah, this song is really fantastic. Yeah. It's also like, I was so intrigued by the title, and then I'm like, oh, how is he going to be like, like how weird and sci-fi is this 2000 man going to be? And then yeah. I could not parse out any lyrics that specifically say anything about him being in the future. It's just like, about a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you think at that point, in 1967, they were like, we'll still be alive in the year 2000? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just thought they would all have flying cars. Yeah. And that, like, people would be living Which, this is, um, this is a stand-up bit I did one time at a show while I was tuning my guitar. Um, people are mad that we don't have flying cars. That's a thing we have, though. They're just yeah. airplanes. They're just incredibly inconvenient and expensive to own and hard to fly. <laughs> but we have flying cars. You could get a helicopter. It's not cheap, yeah. but it, like, I don't know. That's yeah. always bugged me that people are, were like, they promised us flying cars. Yeah. It's a thing we have. Yeah. I don't know. I love it, PJ. That's what I want. Thank you. I want that. That unique perspective, the voice of PJ. Yeah, that edgy Bill Burr-like humor. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Gonna get you kicked off and solely sold in the show. <sighs> all right, sing this all together. See what happens. <laughs> yes, see, see what fucking... We dare you. It is a little bit threatening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the first of the uh, two jams we get into on this album 
It is eight minutes and thirty seconds long. Uh, this song makes me realize why Lug left. Yeah, <laughs> I'd fucking leave. I'd be, yeah, I'd be pissed if this was all the band I was managing was doing too. Where's that joint? I like oh, that you that? can hear somebody ask for a joint. Yeah, this album. So they do a little bit of like studio patter, and then they also do a couple like recorded voice clips from other things in this album and it made me wonder like how early this has to be among the first albums to do that because like the Beatles did voice pattern like studio talking in 1970 and it was kind of a big deal right uh, on let it be so like wouldn't it have been like this has to be close to one of the first albums right I'm sure there was a jazz album that did that yeah maybe yeah um, do you want to talk about your facts over this garbage, garbage song? Yeah. Well, first of all, I will just say, I actually objectively, like, don't think this jamming is that terrible. I just can't for my life, like, over the last, like, week and a half or so we've been listening to this album, I just can't get into it. And I, I'm, like, almost just frustrated by it, because it's, it seems like it's not that bad, but... It's, it's bad. It's not good. It's bad. I guess my problem with it is that there's no repeating, like there's, there's nothing there's to tie no it together. Melody that they're coming back to or anything, yeah. yeah. And it's not even like <laughs> fish. We talked about uh, quite a few episodes ago, I think. But yeah. me being into fish for a hot minute in college. But it's not even like some of what I would consider good jams from fish, where like even if they aren't repeating a melody, it feels like you're like going through kind of a musical thing with them that they're improvising as they go like this is literally just them making noise for seven minutes and then yeah calling that a jam so yeah okay so i guess some of the stuff i wanted to talk about is that first of all john paul jones did the string arrangements for this album interesting this was that was his job this was pre-new yardbirds yeah was he even in that I guess I kind of thought he got the New Yardbirds like late, late. Yeah, New Yardbirds was Led Zeppelin, the current. Oh, okay, I thought yeah. it was Jimmy, uh, uh, whoever their lead singer is, Robert Plant. Yeah, <laughs> and John Bonham with like another guitar player, and then John Paul Jones was later for some reason. No, there, Jimmy Page. I mixed up that timeline. Don't join the Yardbirds after Jeff Beck left. Right. Um. And so he was in the Yardbirds, and then everybody then else everyone fucking else left the Yardbirds. Left. Yeah. And so he was going to okay. be the new Yardbirds, and he put together the four-piece. And, and didn't he know John Paul Jones from them both being studio guys? I think so, yeah. Yeah, something like Yeah, because they were, yeah, they were both. Um... So, yeah, so John Paul Jones did the string arrangements here. And then, so, as we've heard so far, especially on, I would say, Sing This All Together, Citadel, and then... Um, this sing this all together this is i think i can say definitively because i don't think they get this crazy later in their career uh the most musically diverse album the stones will have out diverse is generous in terms of instruments okay present i guess is what that's fair what i'm going for uh not musically diverse in the sounds that they're making i was gonna say yeah yeah um so here's some of the credited instruments 
Mick is credited with playing percussion, maracas, glockenspiel, and tambourine. Cool. Brian is credited with playing mellotron, flute, guiro, saxophone. Oh, a guiro is that is that thing that's like. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, saxophone, vibraphone, glockenspiel as well. Theremin, the aforementioned Jews harp. Ah. Uh, I believe on this song. Maybe it's the other jam though. I forget. It's on one of the jam songs. I'm certainly not going to turn this up to figure it out. So. <laughs> Uh, organ, electric dulcimer, recorder, harp, and sarod. Mm. I was unclear on what sarod was. But... You can hear the recorder behind us right now. Um, yeah. I hate that every band in the 60s and 70s who is like a, even a little bit psychedelic was like, we're going to fuck this track up with a recorder. <laughs> Stairway to Heaven um, opens with a recorder. Yeah. Bill is credited, and this is all aside from like their normal instruments. Yeah. Bill is credited with playing organ, oscillator, and the Mellotron as well. Uh, and then Charlie is credited with playing congas, tabla, and claves. And then all of the harpsichord is done by, I think, a session guy. Some guy named Nick Hopkins. Okay. Nicky Hopkins. Bummer that they don't have Ian anymore. Yeah, it's weird. Ian is not credited at all on this, and... Who knows why? Because like he keeps playing with them later, so yeah. I don't know why. Maybe he's more Maybe... of a touring guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I um, aside from the jam stuff, I really really like all of the weird instruments. Like on "Sing This All Together" in Citadel, I love how like thick the songs are. Basically, where like there's certain points where there's just like 15 instruments playing at the same time. And yeah. it sounds really cool, I think. Um, sometimes it works on this album. Sometimes it really does not. Yeah. 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 Is that all you had? All right. Let's, yeah, let's end this nightmare. She's a rainbow. I think it's that game at the fair where you have to um, try to get a ping pong ball on top of a, on top of a Coke bottle. And then there's a fish inside the Coke bottle, and you have to try to suffocate it. But that's where they get you. You can't suffocate a fish. It breathes underwater. They blow a whistle? Yeah. To do that again? Okay. Yeah. Um, this song is also really excellent. She's a Rainbow is good. Yeah. I love this piano part. I did not mean to turn it up that loud. Oh, you did. I love the piano, man. When it gets into it, it's amazing. Yeah. Once again, lyric writing by way of, what's a psychedelic idea? And yeah. then working backwards from there. Oh, a girl. But it's a rainbow. a rainbow. Also, of course, she's described as being a white lady. Yeah. Yeah. White ladies are definitely the most rainbow Yeah. Uh, the piano on this is really good. The strings are really, really good. Which is probably Mellotron, I would assume. You think so? What's that? The strings? I... No, arranged by John Paul Jones, friend. Fuck yeah, dude. Good job, John Paul. And very Beatles backing vocals. Yeah. Ooh la la, ooh la la la. Shit. It's very good. Yeah, this song's. Excellent. This is definitely the first one I really got into on this album. 
Probably because it's just the most straightforward of yeah. anything, really. Um, although it does a thing, this song and then a couple others, they kind of, like, bury Nick's vocal track in the instrumentals. Yeah. In a way that I feel like they meant to do, but I just don't like. It I makes do the songs no. sound kind of distant. No, I... soft for some reason. I think if this album had been produced differently... It would have. It would go up like one or two, in my book. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go to the lantern. Nice. The lantern. Spooky again. It's like we're in a graveyard. Yeah. Now it's a whimsical um, graveyard. I really uh, dig this song. Too. I thought it was okay. Yeah. I like the guitar. The guitar sounds good. Yeah, the guitar is sick. Um, the guitar really just carries it from the little delay thing here to later we get into some nice guitar riffs. And the piano. Yeah, that boogie woogie. It's good. I mean, there's not much song here, but the sounds of all of it are really nice, so. Listening to it again, I do like it more than I've... I just thought it was fine, but I think it's because truly every time I listen to this album, after seeing this all together, I was just frustrated. It's hard to get to the back half. Yeah. yeah. But it's good, yeah. Um, that acoustic guitar Very coming simple. in and then the delay is really, really good. And then that mm, guitar. Yeah, that guitar uh, lick or whatever is. Yeah. Alright, I'm gonna go to yeah. Gomper. Is that how you think it's pronounced? Gomper? I think so. This is a five minute song. Yeah, this is their second jam. The song part of this I like. Like, it's not my favorite but if there was just a little two minute song if it was just the song great but the jam they tack on i can say that i don't like any of this song <laughs> it's much like sing this all together where i hated it i hated yeah. it um, i mean i did not listen i think i listened to this full song like once this week i would just skip it about 30 seconds into the jam so. oh you mean like this uh, this is 2000 light years from home. Yeah. I wanted so badly to like this song, and for some reason just could not get there. I did not like it. I it... feel like there's a version of this song that I would love, but kind of like with She's a Rainbow, it's produced just so... It's like just so laid back and mellow, and Nick's voice is so soft on it. Yeah. Um, it's spooky again. Yeah. They borrowed that. Album. They borrowed that detuned piano from the uh, from the Beach Boys. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, apparently, Mick started writing this song when he was in his night jail. Oh, cool. I know how cute. Once again, those timpanis are good, and I have to imagine that's Charlie. No, this song was um, and. 
I'm glad that you also just couldn't get into it because just fucking the the back half of this album yeah. is rough to get to. It is. And then it it doesn't um, pay off really. Yeah. Uh, apparently, I think in the Cohen book is where I read this. Um, they played this song like in later tours. Yeah. Included it on those set lists, and I feel like this could be a really good song live, just because it would be more like hard rocking and straightforward, you know? Yeah. Um, like I said, like I feel like there is, I could really like this song, but just this version. Yeah. His vocals suck on it. This yeah. is the worst Mick vocal we've heard. Yeah. Like it's a catchy song. Um. Execution, I don't know. Well, on with the show. All with the show. Is this Michael Caine, by the way? It sounds a lot like Michael Caine. I think every British man uh, who was born in the same year Michael Caine. It's like how all like old Bostonians just kind of mm-hmm. sounded like JFK. I think it's like that. Yeah, probably. This song is fine. It's a bad closer. Yeah, I feel like they were trying to recapture something happened to me yesterday with the yeah. like kind of British music hall thing going on, and it just yeah, it there's did nothing not. here. And Mick's voice is kind of just stupid, right? Oh yeah, it's <laughs> he's doing such a weird accent, and like it's it's a thing. It's bad. Like, I don't get why I'm being that judgy about it, because it's something that, like, other groups, like the Beatles, for example, or would do, and it's like, the oh, Beach Boys, fantastic. Even. Yeah. Um, like, doing a weird character like this, but then for some reason when the Stones do it, it just sounds so dumb. My favorite thing is it sounds like he's trying to make it sound like he's speaking through a megaphone. Right. And then yeah, they just echo. A very slight echo. And then he yeah. was like, I can do the rest with my mouth. It's fine. I kind of like, I, I don't hate this song, but it's also just fine. And especially from At, Gomper on, this album just yeah. does not have anything going for it. So, Truly. Um, it's hard. I, I didn't even get to this song most times that I listened to this album yeah. <laughs> because Gomper well, stopped me up. I got frustrated with Sing This All Together. And then everything mm-hmm. after that was like... I was being so cynical towards because it was so shitty. And then, so, like, I was looking at everything through a very cynical eye, and then almost none of it paid off after seeing this all together. She's a rainbow. Great. Yeah. You remember how, when we were talking about Aftermath, I was like, um, I didn't like how... Um, going home was in the middle of the album because I didn't like skipping songs like that. So I was just yeah, yeah. I I got over my my dislike yeah. of skipping songs this week. Yeah, I, I can just imagine. I I had to on sing this all together and Gomper because I I literally like you I wasn't getting through the album if I had yeah. to listen to that. For you, six minutes. this is an album you cannot own on vinyl. Like, it, yeah, it's a rare one for sure. Yeah. Nobody's gonna put this on when you're hanging out, or else people would be like, "What the fuck are we listening to?" Um, my fiance, more than usual, uh, 
yeah. hated this album yeah. because anytime we got to some of the jams or any of the jams, uh, yeah. she was not incorrectly. She was like, "It makes me feel anxious." Yeah. All of these, and I'm like, "Yeah, I, that's yeah, that's right." Because they're just like like they're tuneless and kind of they're all like in a minor key. And it's just a bunch of like noise clanging into each other. Yeah, and has maybe she lis- that's what they were going for. But has she listened to Smiley fun. Smile? Because that might do it for her too. Yeah, yeah, that one's just anxious because you're like, is Brian even gonna live through this album? <laughs> yeah, I forgot at the end they announced his they read his death certificate. Well, oh, that's that is their Satanic yeah. Majesty's request. Yeah. What do you want to do? You want to go first? Should I go first? I I concede the floor. TJ Willis. Um. Damn, the you doxed me again, dog. <laughs> Just beep it out, man. Yeah. You did it. You did it. Um, there are some songs on this album that I think are really good. It is not enough to make up for the bad <laughs> on this album. I yeah. cannot listen to this as an album. It yeah. is an unlistenable album. That being said, I really, really like two of the songs on it. She's a Rainbow is an amazing song. 2000 Men is an amazing song. Uh, the first two, uh, Sing This All Together, not See What Happens, the other version. Right, right, the first one. Oh, wait, no, not that one. one. Citadel, wait, what was the other one? I don't even remember which one's yeah, the Citadel, one. Citadel, you like the C- Citadel is, one. yes, is good. It... Sing this all together, see what happens, is the worst. And then everything from then on made me seethe. Um, <laughs> and yeah. I cannot give this album a great rating because it, uh, yeah. it was so frustrating to listen to. Yeah, it um, is frustrating. That's I will it. never listen to this album again. I can guarantee <laughs> that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. rough. What I mean... About, what about you, Pete? Like with every Rolling Stones album we've talked about so far, I feel like there is a great album here, but they did not release it. Yeah, like... The, the, it, with the songs that I like, there is, there could have been so much potential, it seems like. Because like, even We Love You and Dandelion could have been good on this album. And then like take away a couple of the jam songs and like... Even that, it's those aren't amazing songs, but like it would at least bump this album up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If I mean, honestly, it would go up two points in my book if "Sing This All Together," see what happens, <laughs> wasn't on it. Yeah, yeah. I fucking hate it, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I. This probably won't surprise you. I really, really wanted to like this album. Yeah. Like I went in, I was so excited for this. I. I mean, aside from the fact that, like, anytime there's a band like this where they have, like, a misunderstood or whatever album, I kind of try, I latch onto those usually. Um, This time it didn't work out. Especially the Stones, very, I don't know, blues, cock rocky band. I'm I'm looking for the, like, stuff that most Stones fans don't love because that's probably where I want to hang my hat as a guy who loves Beach Boys and stuff. So I was really excited for this album, and I really I was like ready to like it, even if it sucked, just to be 
contrarian almost. Like I, I was yeah. there in my head and I could not <laughs> get there after listening to it so yeah. many times. Cause it's, uh, I mean, it's parts of it are fantastic. Like you said, I would really only say that the two jam songs are like that terrible. Like those are the only yeah. two songs I would, I skipped um, consistently. Um, I love the instrumentation and the sound on it. And I, aside from the kind of like weird production on 2000 light years from home and she's a rainbow, I would say in general, I really like the production on it. And I like the like ramshackle um, nature of it with all just a pile of instruments on top of each other and everything. I, think really really works and yeah like the the first half until the jam song those first four songs are pretty perfect in my mind they're like seeing this all together is solid and the short jam on it works i think and then citadel in another land and 2000 man are like an incredible three songs in a row i and then if they had just stuck she's a rainbow on that front half then you have at least a perfect half first half i think yeah, I think it was a strong start to the album, and then, you know, what five yeah. songs in, it's yeah. awful. It gets rough. You said um, that... I do. I mean, I do like "She's a Rainbow and the Lantern" though on the yeah. back half. No, those are good, but um, not good enough but... to. I don't know. Yeah. carry it. You know. It's interesting. This is an album too, where I feel like if I had listened to this at a younger age, like maybe at that age where I thought Fish was super cool. Yeah. I would have, like, this would have been, like, my favorite Rolling Stones album coming into this podcast. Yeah. Um, But I don't do quite enough drugs anymore, I don't think, for this to really hit me in the same way. Right. Um, You said that our friend Jake has a controversial opinion on this album. He did not share it. Should I call him? I'm going to try to call him. Let's see if he answers my phone call. I would be surprised. I kind of would be too, because Jake, as far as I know, isn't big on phone calls. So. I mean, and plus, you just show up as spam, right? Yeah. Is this the episode where we become a crank call podcast? Yeah. Um, my What's picture. Hello. Hey, Jake Iverson. How's it going? Jake. What's up, buddy? How are you doing? <laughs> good. I'm good. Can he hear me? Um, I don't think oh, no. he can hear you, okay. Peter. That's fine. So, um, are you guys we, on right now? we are on right now. We have just finished up talking about their Satanic Majesty's request, and okay. we hear you have a controversial opinion on it. Oh, not honestly, not really. I was mostly kidding with Peter when I said that. <laughs> it's not very good. Taking advantage of me not knowing, but what it's not good. The it's, album it's, was. it's them emulating the Beatles very poorly. It's, oh, but that's not controversial. That's everybody. That's saying. exactly what I said. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really they don't get it back until, like, like. Whoa, 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 whoa! Do... We're not there yet. We're not there All yet, right. Jake. My my apologies. Yeah, um, I guess now would be a good time to invite you to be on an episode this later. This is a formal invitation. It's a formal invitation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to. Perfect. Pick you can, a litter. You from can. You can be on. Yeah, you could be 1968 on. So, Sticky Fingers. Uh, Sticky Fingers is my favorite Stones album. 
Perfect. We'll get so you. We'll call that one. We'll call you when Sticky Fingers is up. Ask him if he's disappointed okay. every time he unzips that, that fly. Wonderful. And he's not into looking forward to it. Are Are you disappointed? Peter wanted me to ask you this. Are you disappointed every time you unzip that fly and there's not a dick? Um, no, because I find that to be pornographic, but just like a man's bulge is very attractive. Oh, okay. It's better when you can't see it. Yeah. Right? But you can get the idea. Yeah. This is really disappointing that I can't hear Peter, because I'm sure there's a lot of fun happening. I'm disappointed, too, because I'm anything. spitting gold over here, man. Yeah, he said he's disappointed, too, because he's spitting gold over here. Mm. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Right? Me neither. Yeah. But yeah, I would love to be on Sticky Fingers. Perfect. Yeah. Who's this, who's I also this know a lot about uh, Muscle Shoals, which is where they recorded a lot of that. So. Excellent. Um, who's your favorite Rolling Stone? Um, I, I, I think I'm a myth guy, primarily. Okay. It's a I like, choice. solid choice. I like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Keith a lot, but I, I, I probably prefer Mick. Okay. If I had to choose. Charlie's the only real choice. Anymore. Yeah. Um, we're both a little bit disappointed you didn't choose Charlie, but that's yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I think he's mostly just a drum machine with a wig on. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you make a, a not even a good wig at that. <laughs> Off a wig. Yeah. I mean, Ronnie Wood actually is probably my real answer. Ooh, we're not there Ronnie yet. Wood. We're not there yet, Jake. I know. No spoilers. Yeah, Peter said who? The man who stole Brian Jones's job. Yeah. All right. Well, well, Jake, we appreciate you talking to of us. Of course. I'm happy to help. Perfect. Well, we will see you when we talk about Sticky Fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Give me give me a time. I'll be there. Excellent. All right. Cool. Love you, Jake. All right. I'll love you, Jake. You Bye. Yeah, I love you, too. Goodbye. Well, hey, that was seamless, man. Holy yeah, he, he shit. answered. I can't believe he answered. He didn't sound like he could believe he answered. No, that was shocking. <laughs> Hello? I think I hit the right. Yeah. I don't even know how I answered this thing. Well, there you go. That just shows my naivete going into their Satanic Majesty's request. Um, It is funny that he was just trying to fuck with you. <laughs> do you have a rating for this album? Oh. <sighs> Shit. I'm curious. I, I, I can do mine first, I guess, if you want. I think... I've had mine locked in since, like, Wednesday last week, I guess I'll say. Weirdly. I wish I it, could give it a three and a half. Interesting. But yeah. it's, a, it's a three. Solidly. Yeah. It's a three. I have to say, despite all of the bad things i was saying about it don't you do this to me pete okay very early on listening to this album i was like oh this is just aftermath and between the buttons again like it's an album with a bunch of really good not a bunch but like with several very very good songs or amazing songs a whole bunch of songs i don't really care about that much and then like an album that could be great but they just didn't put it together well enough for me which i love I don't care about any of that because we're rating the album as it is. And no, as I understand. it is, is unlistenable. I understand. But to me, it is their third 7 out of 10 album in a row where it's just like they're, it's good, but it's, it's not great. I am shocked you said 7 out of 10. <laughs> I mean, man, I, again, what aside from... Fuck? 
Sing this all together. Aside from Sing This All Together and Gomper, I would say I like or love every song on this album. So I think that's a 7 out of 10. And again, the instrumentation is definitely my favorite thing the Rolling Stones have done so far. Wow. Uh, when it works, like on Citadel um, or 2000 Man there. like Wow, 7 out of, that is too high. That is... Oh, I mean, I guess I went into it high. hoping beyond hope that I could give it like a nine or a 10 because I was, I was just prepared to fall in love with this thing. No. A la a beach boy, smiley smile, maybe say like a misunderstood classic. No, but it's bad. It's actively bad. I don't think that's true. I think it's a seven out of 10. Well, you must have dropped your bean before listening to this album. <laughs> no, no. Weirdly enough, this is maybe the only Rolling Stones music I have not listened to. Well, stoned so far ah. i don't even know what i would feel but let me tell you between the buttons stoned though is some primo shit okay that album's fantastic good to know i guess marijuana uh but yeah seven out of ten i am surprised that ended up being so controversial i thought we would both be in the same five to seven range i no. guess honestly you know how much i hate shit like fucking sing this all together see what happens but enough to bring the whole album down. yes like it's just enough to bring it down i don't care that it's two songs i'm rating it as a, and this is something you try to pull with me with the beach boys you have to rate it as an album as an, as al- an album if you're listening to it for the first time imagine it's 1967 I know. I know, I know. or yeah 67 you're listening to the song album for the first time you have to listen to it as an album on a record you can't really skip <laughs> i like, it's awful. I think I stick with 7 out of 10. I'm not trying to get you to... I just I really do. don't understand it. All right. All right I like man. it. Like, I I will listen to this album again. I will skip a little more than I would have this week, you know? But I will listen to this album again, and I will really wow. like it. Parts of it, you know? I'm texting Jake about this because I'm so <laughs> upset. I mean... You could you could probably talk me into a six, and I'll say I'll I'll say this. Time will tell. It's possible by the time we get to like 1971 and we do a little retrospective on our you know early ratings, it's possible I'll feel differently about this album. But I really liked it this week. Wow, that is. I like again. I would say I liked listening to it as much as Aftermath and Between the Buttons, which have been still the high points you know so far. You know how people have um, controversial opinions about something, and it's called a hot take? Yeah. Yours is the opposite of that. Yours is the coldest yeah. take in the world. Yours is fucking the dry well, ice no of take takes. on an album that came out in 1967, man. <laughs> takes are... Okay, you make a good point. That was done by, like, 1980. The dust had settled on any sort of controversy about this. I'm just... Yeah. I'm simply saying I liked this album. I did not love it, and I did not think it was shit. I just told Jake your rating, and he said too high, but I do like it as a strange oddity. It's very clear that they just heard Tomorrow Only Knows and decided to do that, which is true. I don't agree. I don't agree. I mean, I don't think, like, they clearly were copying a little bit for the Beatles. I actually, I will say, I think there's less Beatles copying on this album than there was on Aftermath and Between the Buttons. I think this one had a lot, though. Them just trying to sound like the Beatles. I would... I wouldn't disagree with that statement. 
I would say like they were trying to sound like the Beatles in that they were trying to be super psychedelic, but the songs themselves don't sound super Beatlesy to me. Uh, so. He he then said, "I don't go for the <laughs> samba orchestral tones. I like the angry blues much better." Yeah, which I mean, I, I get it. I have the same Fair. opinion. Well, PJ, their Satanic Majesty's request. They requested our review, and our review is in. And it's controversial, to say the least. It is. I think that's definitely the furthest apart we've been on the album so far. Oh, Let for me say, sure. I think we'll get there very soon, again, in terms of being far apart in our ratings. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll see you on the other side of that wave, Pete. PJ, I will. We will. Once it crashes over all the stones on the beach that are really sand, because that's really just stones beaten so many times by the waves that they break down into little tiny stones. And then it's sand, and if that isn't a psychedelic thought, what is? I, I feel trippy just having listened to it, man. That's right. All right, Pete. I'll see you next week. See you next week, PJ. Let's spend the night together A Beach Boys Boys production.